The extraordinary Joe Verrant is my guest on Downtime today. Joe is the senior producer for Unlimited, the world's largest commissions programme for disabled artists, ensuring that work gets seen, discussed and embedded within the cultural fabric of the UK and further afield, with partners such as ACE, Creative Scotland, Southbank Centre and the British Council. Working with Sarah Pickthall, Joe also runs SYNC, examining the interplay between disability and leadership in the cultural sector. And with Luke Pell, she has created the movement installation Take Me to Bed. Joe believes that different is delicious, not divergent. And she's on a mission to turn policy into real action. Hello, Joe. Thanks so much for joining me. How are you? I'm okay. Well, you always say you're okay. I'm actually knackered uh, today, so I'm doing this from bed, which is great. I like the uh, fact that I can work from bed. And where are you? Um, So I'm in West Yorkshire, um, in a little village called Harden, which is just outside. It's either outside of Bradford or it's outside of Keithley, depending on how posh I want to sound. Okay, Keithley's the posh no, no, no. Oh, the other way. Oops, sorry, my mistake. No, no, K-Town. K-Town is not posh. Sorry, okay. I have family from Keithley. <laughs> but they, they misinformed me. <laughs> um, okay, so before we go on to talk about absolutely everything, um, how has this experience been for you? How, how's it, yeah? Lockdown in general. Yeah. Um, it's been really interesting. I... I've, I have quite a robust personality. I'm quite an optimist on the whole, and I'm really be, I'm really pleased with the, that I do approach life in that manner because I think it's made me get really curious about some things and find some things exciting that otherwise would have just been plain miserable. Um, I'm also incredibly privileged to not be in London to have a garden, mm. um, uh, to have space. Um, delightfully. Um, some of my kids had moved out uh, just prior to lockdown, so I had more space than I imagined. And they haven't moved back in? Uh, no, no, I've got two that are living uh, in, in in various other places, but very nearby, Great. and one is, to, is still at home. Perfect. Um, the bit about it that's been most challenging in a way is being on the shielding list okay. um, and this word vulnerable that suddenly then got stuck on me. Mm. Um, and it's really strange because it's just a word, but it's actually a word that carries quite a lot of, for me, negative implications that I really strongly reject. Mm. So actually having that label foisted upon me was something that uh, that took a bit of getting used to. I can imagine it's not a word that I would immediately associate with you <laughs> at all. <laughs> um, Okay, so you're not only senior producer of uh, Unlimited, you also run Sync Leadership and you facilitate for Claw and Coach, I think. You do all sorts of things. What are the main things that you should have been doing during this time that perhaps you haven't done or that you've had to reconfigure? Um, Going and seeing a lot of brilliant art by disabled artists, not just work that we've commissioned, but I try and get out and see as much work as I can. And... um, that's the thing that that really has has been stopped. Yes, some of it is pivoted. I believe the word is to okay. to digital and to online. But there's so many festivals and events and various things uh, that I should have been at. And yes, co-founded Sync with uh, Sarah Pickle. I should have been in Canada running a, uh, a 
week-long session, which we did run. We ran it online. I saw that you did that online. Holy moly, how was that? That, it's very strange. We worked kind of from 2, 2.30 in the afternoon through till 8.39 at night, uh, every day for a week. Um, and I do my best work in the mornings. I'm not a, an evening person. So, um, yeah, that was quite a challenge, trying to make that timetable work. But also it was such a shame to not be in a oh, space. Yeah. The brilliant participants that we had online is great you can do a lot um in some ways there are some things that are better yeah but something like getting to know people is pretty hard on digital yeah and exhausting for you if you're facilitating that and you're basically on zoom for six hours a day yeah we've got all kinds of little uh you know tricks around how to, to soften that so there were individual exercises there were um you know groups of three, discussions, breakout groups, all that kind of thing. So it wasn't a full-on block of time because I don't think that would be accessible to anybody. No, sure. Okay. But you're still responsible. You're still holding that space one way or another. Uh, you know, yeah. these conversations tend to last about an hour and I'm always exhausted after them. So I can't imagine what, you know, that yeah. that level of responsibility. It was, it was knackering. Yeah. But brilliant that you did it. Yeah. I think it's really important to particularly, I think, if you are in that shielding category, I think you have to accept that there's a degree of new normal. And um, we all want the normal to shift and change, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. But um, I decided quite quickly that I was going to get into a work routine. Haven't missed a day of work. And that feels really important to me. Mm -hmm. um, I've got to, you know, motivate and run a team of people. I've got a whole list of things that still need doing unlimited is in a very interesting phase this year that still ne all needs to happen so keeping going um has been really really fun possibly kept going a little too strongly i was time. just going to ask that yeah you haven't had any or you haven't wanted or needed any downtime or you know self-care i think i think wanted and needed yes um, I have done some things. I have a camper van oh. and um, I have slept in it and had weekends away, but not actually away, just parked up on the drive. Oh, my God. Uh, for my birthday, we made a little festival environment with a little fire pit and we did roasted marshmallows and I slept in the van and watched the bats circle around. So, um, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, have done things. So I got the paddling pool out. Lovely. That little bit of sunshine, had a little bit of laser around in that. Got back into gardening. There started the greenhouse up again. Okay, it's just that you did that all in a very short space of time, and you were probably working at the same time, no doubt. Um, the camper van thing sounds amazing. I grew up in a family with a camper van, and quite often I would sleep in it on the drive just because it was so nice. And now my family don't get that. <laughs> like, Please, can I have another one and just sit in it from time to time? Sounds like that would be very nurturing for you. Yeah for the brief moment that it happens. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit about Unlimited, uh, can we? Can you just t explain it to us for, for anyone listening who isn't familiar? Absolutely. It's a commissioning programme for disabled artists. Um, and it's about taking artists, investing, investing in them, nurturing them, introducing them potentially to contexts that they haven't had the opportunity due to the barriers inherent within the cultural sector to, to engage with before. So it's about creating really uh, innovative product and getting that to spaces and places where it hasn't been seen before. 
and we work, uh, we started off, Unlimited started off as part of London 2012 and the Olympics, and then it became a programme that was tendered uh, for and Shape and Arts Admin and myself tendered for it. We won that contract. So since 2013, we've been running it as a programme. And this year and next year, all that's going to change. We're now in a, a phase called Unlimited Transition. Uh-huh. We're transitioning to become an independent organisation. Now, some people might say that, is this the time to become an independent organisation when the whole of the cultural sector is potentially going down in flames? But um, actually, I think there's a lot of things that we can do because of the situation that we're in uh, about creating something that's lean and agile and focused directly on artists and getting money to artists, not on buildings and store cupboards and and swanky stuff. Um, so I think there is still value actually in that pivot. And also we haven't managed to crack the systemic discrimination against disabled artists within the cultural sector. Yeah. So all of that still needs to happen. Yeah. Uh, sadly, the work is not yet done, is it? Indeed. Not yet. Um, okay. Well, obviously it's a brilliant organisation and people like me are very familiar with it and, uh, you know, creates really exciting work and, and offers all sorts of uh, amazing you know, funding and schemes and possibilities, doesn't it? Uh, what were you, what was busy happening just before all of this for Unlimited? Well, we were just leading up to um, Southbank Centre do a festival every two years based around our commissions called Unlimited Festival, yeah. which everybody thinks I get to programme, and I really don't. Oh, I think I thought that too. It's a lovely myth, uh, but <laughs> it's not true. Um, it's programmed by Southbank, but they do programme... Uh, about 75% of it is our commissions. And we are heavily involved in discussions about the other 25%. And it really is a a joint initiative, but the ultimate programming responsibilities definitely sits with them. And so that was due to be in September. Mm. And so we were gearing up and everything was leading uh, towards that. And, of course, that is now... Uh, postponed Postponed. and all of the artwork that was leading up in all you know we were supposed to enter our heaviest uh programming period where most of the work would that we commissioned a couple of years ago would reach fruition and all of that work is now held in in stasis yeah what a horrible thing for all those people that have you know are ready (laughs) to create uh, and just get paused at that moment you know it's, it feels worse than if it was a year from now or something they're all sort of primed ready yeah and it's I mean it's interesting we followed Arts Council's lead very very readily and so everybody got paid their full contract amount or right. is being paid their full contract amount irrespective of what they can deliver um, so that people have bread so that people can pay their rent so that people can pay the other freelancers who are contracted um, within those projects but that will leave a deficit in the autumn because that money's gone out we don't have that money again to reinvest in that work in order to get it back up on its feet so what will happen well some of it um some of it is pivoting to digital as the uh, okay. as the phrase now is we're using um we, we've kind of culled a lot of things that we were going to do like we were going to have a publication that went along with the festival so we got rid of that immediately and we 
jug down the back of the unlimited sofa and have pulled out as many pennies as we can. We've done two things with those. Some of that has gone to the artists with work to help it, you know, remain in some way. And some of that has also go, gone on micro commissions. So a thousand pounds to a number of, of artists. We started with 50 and I think we've just broken the uh, 50,000 Which ceiling. is brilliant. I mean, that's so important right now, uh, a proper creative and financial lifeline, I imagine. Absolutely. And um, each panel is is devastating. We kept it to just our alumni. So all, uh, mm. artists that we'd either supported before uh, or had been shortlisted or we'd given bursaries to. So artists that were in our family, but there are mm. 280 of them. I mean, it's not a small list. Yeah. We knew we couldn't throw the doors wide open to every disabled artist because we just, there's six of us, well, yeah. seven of us. We couldn't cope with that demand. Yeah. Um, and it is genuinely on those those panel days there are genuine genuinely panel members in tears oh. going we can't say no to this person how how can we only you know, how come there's only this much money yeah. um and that is is really really tough we staggered it so we had a pilot and then may june and july um with deadlines so that different people could respond at different times mm. depending on on their capacity um there's never enough money. No. I think that's something we'll keep coming back to potentially in this conversation, many of the conversations that I've had. There is not and cannot be enough money. And that's always been true, but it's even more true now, presumably. Absolutely. Yeah. So it now becomes about who gets that money and who doesn't get oh, that God. money. Oh, God, it's really difficult. Yeah. Okay. Um, so oh, I want to talk to you about... I'm, I'm going to ask you a little bit more about that deficit later. I want to talk to you now about the, the advocacy that you've been busy with, I mean, that you're always busy with, but that you've been busy with during this time. So obviously it's a really difficult period for everybody, everywhere, but it is especially uh, difficult for disabled people. Same in the arts, it's a difficult time everywhere, um, and but especially difficult for disabled artists, for disability arts generally and, and, and audiences, because um, they're all, you know, being hugely impacted, as we know, and... To add to that, extremely concerned that voices are not being heard about how to go forwards is, is my understanding of it. So there is a necessity, as well as we hope, an opportunity to be heard and to fight for the systemic change that you know everybody's talking about. And you are one of the co-signatories on the open letter to the culture secretary, secretary um, uh, as part of the We Shall Not Be Removed movement. Absolutely. Still waiting for a reply, Oliver. Is that correct? Uh, yes, we have had replies from Northern Ireland, Wales and Scotland, uh, cultural ministries uh, in all of the devolved governments, but not England. Very what, And what do you make of that? <sighs> I think it's interesting. I think it's, int it, again, there is masses to do. Where do you put your time, energy, um, priority? Um, but I do think that I do think that this government is showing a callous disregard of disabled people oh. uh, in many different ways. The statistics that we keep being fed are not accurate. Um, I can still remember the marvelous weekend when the definition of uh, how we died uh, changed. 
So we started counting dead people in a different way to the way that we'd been counting yeah. dead people previously. Um, so just data manipulation is something that uh, that really irritates me. I love clean, clear data. I like data-driven decisions. That all makes sense to me. And I'm not getting that from the government. It came out last week, two-thirds of the people who've died so far are disabled people. Now, some of that is linked to ageing and the increase in disability within an ageing population. Uh, I don't care. That's, that's just ridiculous. That's just too many. And it's absolutely then also impacting hugely on um, you know, black and minority ethnic people, people of colour within that. Again, disabled people who are also people of colour, you know, are yet again... Yeah feeling that double or, you know, and uh, uh, oppression of the systems in which we live. The cracks within our society are just becoming clearer and clearer and more and more gaping. So I'm not surprised to have not had a response, but I am irritated. I can well imagine. Um, and so the, the We Shall Not Be Removed movement is obviously working alongside the End Ableism movement, which is also working alongside the Black Lives Matter movement. And, and you know, it is possible, yeah. is it, to feel energised and hopeful by this greater push for uh, equality, access, diversity that, that has somehow ri risen to the surface? Now, you know, of course, we don't know if it's being heard properly, but um, yeah, there's hope and and yeah just to explain that we shall not be removed a bit more yeah so we shall not be removed was uh, just started off as a simple hashtag mm. with people getting behind it and um we set up a slack group which now has over 600 members now we've never had over 600 disabled artists arts organizations inclusive companies we've never had them gathered together before um so that sheer number of people having Zoom meetings uh, every month, um, wow. you know, trying to find out what the systems of power and control are and then trying to you know, impact and influence them uh, is amazing. Mm. It's really joined up. It's really um, as, as open as it can be. It's not perfect. It absolutely isn't perfect. Uh, there isn't a system on earth that is fully accessible. Um, and it is an entirely unresourced group. So people are creating access within it on the blood, sweat and tears of people within it. Yeah. And that's not sustainable um, long term. But there's absolute hope in the coming together. There's absolute hope in some of the creative solutions that people have found to disseminate information further to people who can't access the platform, to insist and ensure that access is met um, as and where we can, to get the companies and organisations and programmes with funding to subsidise um, you know, access for those who can't. Um, I've never been involved in something where people are working together so much, questioning, Mm. challenging but in a positive way and not in what has happened in the past in kind of quite a negative you know tearing everybody down type way there's less of that and it does feel a very positive space and that is hopeful that is really hopeful and it took something as big as this to kind of clear the landscape and also clear the diary a bit um for people to be able to have the time and 
reflective time as well um, to to turn towards each other and say, oh, right, <laughs> what can we do? What, what should we be doing? And also, isn't it this feeling of uh, going back to how it was, everybody realising that they don't want to shit and we've only got a certain window of time in order to try to, to, to change things. Um yeah, and there's some marvellous examples of that. You know, people who told me that it wasn't possible to have online meetings um, and where I've been banging on the door about that for years and years and years, suddenly within a month. Yeah. It was not only possible, it was the only way. Yeah. And everybody's going, oh, my God, that's so much more, um, that's so much cheaper. What do you know? <laughs> yeah. Yes. And it yeah. works and you can have actual conversations and not have such a footprint and, and then quickly have to have another one because so it's more efficient. Absolutely. So that, and that's going to last, I guess. Sorry. Well, and not just Zoom. One of my favourite types of meetings are Google Doc meetings. I've just come out of a, a finance Google Doc meeting and it's brilliant because the notes are there. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. I'm never really sure what the difference is. Okay. Because it's all right there in front of you. It's just typing. So you're not having, for me, as someone who's hearing impaired, I'm not having to listen. I don't have to expend the energy of listening. Oh, okay. Um, so you're sharing the doc. It's not, a, you're not actually seeing each other as well. No, we're okay. just typing I see, in yeah. dead space. Right. Okay. And, and, and it works. What do you know? So you feel yeah. like this will continue and that this will only grow, I guess, in terms of people accepting it and doing it. Yeah, I think Unlimited was really well placed because we were already um split in a way in that we had some staff within shape and some staff at arts admin and me either in yorkshire or on a train or traveling internationally or whatever so we already had online systems sure. the systems were quite comfortable for us um so moving to just using those online systems wasn't as big a shift as it was for yeah. some organizations yeah. and we don't have a building we just cuckoo in other people's offices so again we're we're protected from some of the major downsides unlimited you don't have your own offices but ah, okay yeah, we're based at shape and up and it's interesting in this transition that we're going through to become an organization one of the things we wanted to test out is whether it was possible to have a geographically um dispersed workforce mm. and oddly we don't have to test that out no. anymore <laughs> another <laughs> upside yeah, tick. Yeah, we can do that. So that's certainly a model we're we're looking into for the future to not have a single base somewhere, but actually to have a dispersed. I mean, other people do it. British sure. Council have offices all over the place. Disability Arts Online have a geographically dispersed workforce. So we're definitely thinking of picking up on that model. Great. Um, so no doubt partly directly uh, in response to all the advocacy that you guys have been doing and you know all, all other aspects of the sector the government just announced some cash uh, 1.5 billion pounds for the entire cultural sector and obviously it's a relief to see any action of any sort really? uh, and yes that the phrase du jour is the devil is in the detail we know that um and I, I realise you haven't received a response to your letter, but what do you know about it all and what are your feelings, hopes and fears about that pod? So um, I know that it was in the development, it was in the planning, we hoped it would come out slightly earlier mm. than it did do. And I think it didn't because it is a really complicated sector and it is made up of organisations and individuals. Um, I'm on the Arts Council Northern Advisory Boards or Group, so we uh, we didn't know 
any of the details about it. We still don't know any of the details about it, but we did know that the discussions were taking place. And to an extent, there's a very vague way of feeding in to that. Um, my hope is that... I wrote something. I wrote a, a, a piece and I put it out as a Twitter thread. My hope is that some organisations cease to exist. My hope is that they do that voluntary, mm. terribly. I think that if you are an organisation that is still physically inaccessible, given that the law around access came in in 1995, you've had 15 years to sort that out. If you haven't sorted it out by now, it's clearly not a priority for you. Would you mind closing? Mm -hmm. Because you're not addressing something that I think is absolutely fundamental. Yeah. Now, if you could close, just step back, take it down, get out of the way. Then other things could flower and open. This is an ecology. We talk about the art sector as being an ecology. Within ecologies, things die in order for other things to have space and thrive. And I think we are entering a space. Let's create arts councils. Um, you know, roadmap for the next 10 years was laying out a more equitable, um, you know, cultural sector. The difficulty is getting people, the difficulty is killing things off. It's really hard. Yeah. If you fought for power, giving up power is really tough. Uh, but I hope that things stop in order for new things to flourish. I really hope that things stop voluntarily as opposed to being pushed into it because that's really unpleasant. But I think it's what's going to have to happen. There isn't enough money for everybody yeah. because there can't be enough money for everybody. There is not enough money for it to be enough money for everybody. And it's always been thus. Yeah, absolutely. But it, but it's but it's true. It's survival of the fittest and fittest means uh, being relevant and uh, fit for purpose now in this landscape, doesn't it? And, and I totally agree with you that if you haven't got your act together by now, well, you missed your chance. You had your chance uh, and you missed your chance. But but people aren't going to do it voluntarily, uh, you know, because there are mortgages to be paid, kids to, to, kids to feed. So what do we do about that? Well, I think arts organisations really need to understand that they're not there to pay salaries. They're there to perform a function in the world. And if they're not performing a relevant function, then you, you can't just use the excuse of um, we have salaries, you know, we have salaries to pay and there are mortgages um, as an excuse. Within the system as it is, there are already absolutely horrendous discrepancies. We, in theory, have an art sector where the artists are at the bottom, yeah. are the least paid, are the most precariously uh, employed, uh, are freelancers often who don't meet the government or the Arts Council's criteria for support. They may have mortgages or, uh, you know, most often don't have the money to even have a mortgage. Yeah. I'm more concerned about them and their rent and their food than I am about people who've actually had a relatively comfortable life. I've had a good run. Yeah, you've had a good run at it. But also the salary discrepancies I find yeah. absolutely obscene. Just to be clear, I didn't, I, I agree with you totally, and I, but I didn't mean, oh, what about the people with mortgages? I meant 
that they're not going to do this voluntarily so it has to be about is this the arts council's job then basically people will apply for funding and you won't get it if that's if that's you we're describing or or even you will be encouraged not to apply because of your failure to to be fit for purpose now and I think, I mean, you, you use the phrase survival of the fittest. And I think that's the phrase we've used in the past. And I think we need a new phrase mm. because I don't think fittest works anymore because it, it, it's inherently discriminatory okay. in itself. What do we actually mean by that? And it's also quite often based on a capitalist assumption of growth being better. We see, you know, we encourage for things to grow every year. If everything grows every year, then it's completely unsustainable. So actually it is about what is fit for purpose yeah. and fit in that context. Yeah. I think we I totally really, hear you. That That's right not word. how I meant it. I meant it in terms of fit for purpose and, and alertness <laughs> and flexibility and leanness is a nice word that you used. Um, but I hear you, that language, I, I get why that's not great. Um, so is it the Arts Council's job then to um, to shut... I mean, it's always been the Arts Council's job to shut people down when they've when they've lost their yeah. mandate, I guess. As well, The Arts Council is not the largest arts funder in the country. Yeah, it's okay. actually the local authorities. But the local authorities are also going to be entering a period of uh, austerity, the like of which we have not experienced in my lifetime. We think we've had it bad over the last 10 years. Yeah, sure. oh, yeah. That's not what's coming. What's coming is going to be worse. Um, the Arts Council, I think, have a strategic and a leadership role in determining what is relevant now yeah. and the criteria by which those decisions can fairly and rationally be made. And they are going to upset people. Yeah. They're going to upset, if, if, if it all happens as I would like it to do, they're going to upset yeah. people because it means the status quo being knocked. Yeah. I have hope that that will happen. But I also know, and um, the words that were used in the announcement about saving the crown jewels. Holy moly, what does that mean? Well, it means the opposite, I think, of what I want. You know, I'm not interested in the crown jewels per se. I'm interested in a balanced ecology. I'm interested in every part of the ecology having value, um, not just a rare elite um, yeah, middle-class uh, art forms for themselves. That's that's not my. That's not what I go. That's not what I want. And is it? I mean, did he just use those words, or is that uh, an announcement of his intention to 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 you know to support the status quo? Um, do we? How seriously do we take that? Do you know? Well, I think we have to take it seriously, and I think we have to guard against it. I think. Uh, I think the Arts Council are going to have to be incredibly robust. People have friends in high places. And I think we all know that the way much of the arts se sector has run in the past has been people leaning on people and, you know, deals in... Uh, I watched Hamilton last night. Ah, yes, you know, yes. In the room where it happens, all of that. That, yeah. that is how things have happened in the past. We can't do that anymore. It is unethical to do that anymore. I think it's actually probably illegal to do that anymore. So we have to find a way of creating a system for this money that is transparent. I love transparency. We just put out a blog this week about um, uh, the data on who's had awards from Unlimited in the past. 
And it was really funny when uh, we were kind of pulling all the data together and people, you know, some people were kind of going, oh, you don't want to put that bit in because that doesn't sound very good. Right. And it's kind of like, no, that's exactly why we do need to put right. that bit in because you need, if you're being transparent, it's about being transparent about all of it, yeah. not just your good stuff. Yeah, and if you can't defend it publicly, then you probably shouldn't be, be doing it that way. Absolutely. Yeah. So I would love to see greater transparency, uh, you know, greater um, ethical behaviours and systems in the future, and particularly in relation to the spend around this money. And so do you, um, you personally or, you know, your, your colleagues, are you getting input into these criteria or is it too soon for that? Um, I think the speed of the decision-making and the process, I mean, things need to happen really quickly because the last emergency money is only going to last until September. Yeah. September. That was the kind of cutoff. So they're going to have to put something in place really quickly. Whenever you do anything really quickly, it's open to not being done in the best way it can be done because it can't possibly have the wide range of views uh, that it needs. I am on an area council, so hopefully we'll get sight of something through that process. I'm also on something called the external reference group and we occasionally get to see certain things. But I do think the Arts Council did well, really well, mm. in looking at how the last lot of funding should be allocated. I still have an issue that not enough money goes directly to artists. And I really hope in this in, in this package, if money does primarily go to organisations, those organisations have to state, I really hope they have to state how they're going to cascade those funds down into the sectors that they support. Um, and I do, I do trust that the Arts Council understand the direction of travel. Yeah. It's just how bold... They can be at speed. Yeah, that's okay. Um, talking about artists, I know you know you've already mentioned your your belief in you know getting money to the artists and letting them do their work. Can you just talk a little bit about that and how? Uh, I'm asking your opinions generally, but also now in terms of this new landscape, how you wish it was and how and how you feel like it's gone wrong in terms of all these middle managers uh, taking money that could go direct to the artist and also the relationship of trust in there. When we set up Unlimited, uh, well, when we tended to run Unlimited, we said 75% of any money coming in would go to artists directly. Um, and we've only been able to be that lean because we're not an organisation. So the challenge now is setting up an organisation and keeping that principle going. And that's why not having a large building base or you know, various things um, you know, is, is needed to make that happen. I think that artists are the lifeblood of the cultural sector and I think that they are also the most abused within the cultural sector. They're the ones, I mean, I'm always amazed by dance companies that don't actually hire, don't have permanent dancers or theatre companies that don't have artistic directors and that people are just hired in on freelance contracts, you know, from bit to bit because I don't understand why you're not putting art right in the centre. And I know there are a whole bit, you know, there's masses and masses of reasons behind that. But sometimes there are arts administrators, and I count myself, you know, I am an arts administrator. I'm very clearly in that group. You know, we sit on comfortable wages. 
Uh, mine is, uh, you know, my, my, my freelance bit is deliberately not massive because I don't think it's appropriate to draw a large salary uh, in the field in which we work. But I can remember, I can remember having to make a decision about whether to be an artist or to be an arts administrator and having kids mm. and there being no real choice because if I wanted food and a mortgage and stuff, then I could only be an arts administrator. And in fact, I have made a couple of pieces. Um, I think I average one work every 10 years. I'm not exactly <laughs> prolific. Um, but I literally have to take such a massive pay cut in order to work as an artist. Um, it, it's really, really shocking. Really, really shocking. When you think that without those artists, the cultural sector would have no product. Yeah. It would have nothing to sell. It would have nothing uh, to base itself on. So I find it, I find it really obscene that we we have allowed, and I count myself within that we, you know, I am part of a cultural sector. And however much I've been advocating for it, I've not been advocating enough in the past. I've kind of gone along a bit with the status quo. Um, and I think now there is an opportunity to really be vocal about that, to really be vocal about salaries, to really be vocal about who gets paid, to look at options like universal income, to look at options like giving artists um, a salary for three years, mm. you know, for arts organisations to take on artists in the same way they take on other staff. Yeah. Uh, if, we can't, if we can't really see what we're doing now, then we really are going to miss a trick. And I do think artists are becoming much more robust in their demands too which is absolutely brilliant to see yeah it's another movement that's happening i think in this current space isn't it i'm not sure what the hashtag is but um you know faced with um you know the end <laughs> um uh, it, it does seem that artists are finding their voice their collective voice a bit more and uh, and campaigning for this probably you know more about this than me but that i used to live in belgium and there are schemes there where you know if you've earned x x amount of money as an artist then you get uh, a salary or or benefit to you know it's a kind of special status things is it things like that that you're talking about absolutely yes um i i'm old enough to remember the enterprise allowance scheme is possibly the only good thing a tory government ever did in my view but the idea that you could set up and start to run a business with that security net yeah. of uh, you know, financial support, um, and then keep the money that you earned on top of it rather than being penalised. Yeah. It's brilliant. Now, if you are on universal credit and you get a grant, you know, for example, you were successful and got one of the Emergency Arts Council awards, you could potentially lose 63% of that funding just because of the way our benefit structure, uh, situation right, okay. is structured. And that's just like... Stop penalising poor people. I mean, why? And Arts Council and everybody, we need to understand those mechanisms. It's not, it's not people caught in that, that are the issue. It's the fact that we are creating systems that don't allow for that. It's social model thinking. Yeah. You know, we are part of the, you know, we are creating the problem. So, so in terms of, you know, trying to m make this whole sector more lean and 
give more agency to artists, lose this layer of, or lose some of this layer of middle management. Do you have, um, what does that look like in terms of collective voices? Does this mean all individual artists are individuals or they belong to organisations? They are the organisation themselves. I know, you know, we advocate for artists being on boards much more um, and, you know, being represented in the thinking of organisations. But beyond that, do you know what it looks like? Well, I don't think it's I don't think it's an either or. I think it's and 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 and. Okay. I think there are many different models. I think cooperative models. Some organ, you know, some some organisations, some collectives are coming together. Um, I think the visual arts has already always had quite a lot of of, of footfall there. Yeah. I think arts council could definitely start to look at you know individual longer term awards rather than project by project awards. Um, you know, uh, to artists. Um, we did some of that during Year of the Artist. There's no reason that we couldn't um, invest in that way. Um, I think it would be great to just kind of flip the tables and, like, you know, if you gave a playwright a grant and then it was up to them where their play went mm. rather than you gave it to a producing house and then, you know, it filters through to the playwright that way. Why can't it be the other way around? I think it's the time for bold experimentation around some of that. I think it's time for, um, I would love to see uh, a salary cap, um, you know, and I know people will say, oh, but it's not competitive. Everybody will go and work in the commercial sector. Go then. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Great. Marvellous. You go and work there. Good luck. Um, you know, arts are fueled by passion. If you are in the arts just because of the potential high salary of your, you know, admin-based job, then I do think that that might not be the best use of resources. And I've seen organisations, particularly organisations, um, small organisations, that as they grow and develop, start to pay people more and more and more and actually become, so they may have started off really lean and agile, mm. but they become really unwieldy. Uh, you know, if people, yeah, I just think that, I think that we can all take a more responsible attitude rather than just thinking about ourselves and our own salaries. We need to think about the whole of the ecology. If I take this much out, how much is left for other people? Mm. Share the cake. Mm. I heard one, one move, which was, can everybody with a job take 20% off their salary? Um, and you know, let that go back into the pot. Is that something you'd advocate for? Absolutely. And we we did um, a, a micro version of that. One of the first things we did uh, during lockdown was to give everybody um, money to buy art. Yeah. Uh, so every single staff member had an art budget. So it was part Brilliant. of them creating. Uh, spaces in their homes where they could work effectively from but also be nourished i do think art nourishes you to be in an environment surrounded by that but also it was a way of getting money to artists yeah and saying actually we're not spending this money on travel because we can't travel anywhere so how do we get it to artists in a way that also empowers those staff members great we can do it through this and hopefully by talking about it i mean certainly for me by looking i then bought four times as much art wonderful you know uh, you know yeah. but the rest that's my own <laughs> oh, pocket I want that as well i want that as well yes exactly i just got greedy so i'm now living in a gallery that's so nice it's such a it's such a brilliant scheme but also such a nice 
change to your environment for lockdown you've got new things to look at really Absolutely. Nice. yeah 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 um what's really great about hearing you speak always is the specificity of your ideas you have really you know clear ideas about about how to go forwards um are there others that you think are crucial now that you really want to advocate for in any of these contests whether it's about the disabled community or it's about getting artists uh in the place position they need to be in or the landscape that the funding criteria generally are there specific ideas or schemes yeah, I think we. I think representation is really key. I think we always used to have the oh well, we'll just have one of those on our board. Um, you know, so we'll have the pet disabled person or the pet uh, you know black artist mm. or whatever. And I think we've gone way beyond that now. Um, that's not what we're demanding now. What we're demanding is representation that's absolutely in line with uh, you know population levels. Okay. Um, and in fact, enhanced in order to counter yeah. the years of not having those positions and therefore that influence. Um, so we've just been having discussions. We'd written into this transition paper, you know, we were going to set up a board, obviously, to, to mm. govern the new unlimited organisation. And that and we put in the application, you know, that, that 51% of that would be disabled people. And... Um, the advisory group went, no, no, 75 working to 100%. Yeah. You know, it's that's not it's not good enough anymore to just good. do the bare minimum. Mm. You need to do more. And same around LBGTQIA+, same around people of colour. You know, we have to really work harder to be more representative. Right. Without those voices coming in, nothing will shift and change. And that's across everything, whether it's selection panels, governance, staff, uh, the awards that we make, whatever. We have to work harder because as a sector, we have been lazy. Mm, and that's just another word for discriminatory. Right. Okay. Nicely put. Um, okay. Looking forwards to a future that we can in no way predict <laughs> and nor recognise. Um, are there exciting creative projects? As a, you know, so not advocacy, not funding, but actual creative projects that either Unlimited are involved in now or you've seen elsewhere that are just exciting and we ought to see. Well, yeah, our main awards round, we decided to keep that going as planned. So there'll be some opportunities coming up this summer. There's a, our main awards round kicks off. We're working with many more partners on that for partner awards. In fact, we set ourselves a financial target uh, for partner awards that we've uh, majorly surpassed, which is a real surprise to us because we thought people would be going, oh, we can't partner with you. This environment is too you know, to, you know, we don't know what's happening. But actually people went, we have to partner with you because this is our way through this situation that we're in. Great. This is our way to be able to make some of this change manifest. So that's great. News will be coming out at the end of the month. So the uh, application process is over. You're now... Making... No, no, no. This oh. is all just about to start. It's about to start. Great. Okay. So Maybe news will come out at the end of the month about, about how people can apply for Brilliant. main awards, for research and development awards, and for emerging artists awards. But it, uh, but it's quite a long process. Sure. So if you can't wait that long, we've um, we were doing these micro commissions mm -hmm. for alumni, but we also reached out to a couple of um, allies in different geographical areas 
and said, do you want to do some micro commissions with us? So we've got some running with Dada Fest for artists that are based in the uh, northwest, and we're working with Coventry 2021. And we've got some micro awards coming for artists that are based in Coventry postcodes. We've just announced a bit, quite big major commission with um, Siobhan Davis Dance Company uh, and uh, Tramway and Bluecoat. And that for us is because dance is underrepresented within our portfolio. It's one of our data gaps. So we were looking for a dance-based partnership. So uh, we're really pleased to be able to offer that. Um, so there's some really exciting bits of work and opportunities for artists to be able to to take up. You don't hang about, do you? <laughs> no, uh, no. It's it's one of those things. I've always said you have to kind of cast a lot of bread on the water um, because you never know which bit's going to be snappled yeah. up. And, the problem is at the moment that everything's yeah. snappled. <laughs> and you're up. Like, oh shit! What have I done? <laughs> Um, but it shows how busy you've been. Um, but it does speak really positively about where people are at right now, doesn't it? And there's such exciting work going to come out of this. And, yeah, and a lot of it is with mainstream cultural partners. Yeah, great. Um, people really do want, I, I genuinely believe that a lot of people really do want to change and do want to improve what they're doing and do want to reach out. They just don't necessarily have the confidence that they're going to, get it right they think they're going to offend people or say something or get slagged off on twitter and i think if we can hold their hands and go through that together then you know if people slag us off on twitter well we can we can take it Mm. i don't see that as a bad thing i see that as people caring Mm. people caring enough to tell you something okay very exciting times um in some ways um it does I, I do i am able to feel like that though i do keep having this great rush of excitement and think oh my god there's so so, so much great dialogue going on that, and the focus of the conversation is so interesting and so important and then i kind of look out the window and go oh yeah <laughs> you know that's happening uh, and also we have the government we have and so but anyway it's okay to cling on to that hope I think absolutely um so yes at this point in the conversation I often um have some quick fire questions um or I invite friends and colleagues of my guest to ask questions um and so I've got a couple of those for you this time. So my dear friend and colleague, Lizelle uh, Tourette, who is the founder and director of Not Your Circus Dog, the neurodivergent theatre company, uh, and the director of Not Effing Sorry, that I was lucky enough to dramaturg. Um, it's just an extraordinary group of people. Lizelle um, asks you a couple of questions. I'm going to pick this one. Uh, in terms of uh, what are your thoughts on the continued poor ethical practice that still exists in the performing arts sector? when working specifically with learning disabled young people and adults. How can this be prioritised and challenged now? Just a small oh, question. It's uh, That's big, big. big. Yeah, I know, sorry. No, no, no. I think it's vital, vital that we address this. We often have applications coming in uh, where the lead artist is a learning disabled artist and receiving no money. Mm or receiving so little money compared to everybody else that is involved on that project. Now, I understand the issues around benefits, Mm. and I understand that many learned disabled people and potentially their families are quite nervous 
about shifts to that. But if Sainsbury's can pay people, if Wicks and Morrison's and Homebase can pay learned disabled people, then the art sector can pay learned disabled people, whether we're doing it through permitted earnings, whether we're doing it through um, other routes. There has to be value and respect given to learn disabled artists. And we are so far from that. It absolutely makes my blood boil. We have gone back to uh, more, more applications around learning disabled artists and gone, we want to fund this project, but you have to redo this budget because this budget, this budget is not equitable. And we will not fund this project until you make that budget fairer. Um, just to be clear, by that you mean they're not asking for enough money for themselves? as professionals? Uh, what I mean is that in the budget breakdown, mm. the distribution of resources yeah. is not fair or equitable. Yeah. So you might have a support worker who is down at £250 a day, and you might have a lone disabled artist who's down at £10 a day. Okay, gotcha. And we say that distribution of funds is not equitable. Not okay. We have gone back to artists and say you haven't asked for enough money. And you know, we when if somebody does get an award for us, there's often a bit of jigging around around the budget. We okay. you know we're slightly different from the arts council in that respect, in that we will you know say actually we think you ought to change this. You're not paying yourself enough here, or this ought to be moved. But in terms of loan disabled people, it's usually the disparity yeah. between the payments okay. that are so shocking. And where does leadership come from there? Is it from you and Lizelle and, and, and all your colleagues or is it like in terms of the ethical practice and the ethical code, wh where should that come? Well, I think I think companies, I think anybody who runs a company of loan disabled, uh, who, who involves loan disabled people within that company has a moral responsibility to ensure everybody is paid as much as they possibly can be. I mean, I know of a couple of companies where learned disabled people pay to go to the company because it's right. seen as part of their, um, you know, their socialization or their, um, uh, you, know, uh, you know, social care. Yeah. Aren't they the lucky ones that they get to go and uh, work? <laughs> but then that company goes out on tour yeah. and earns money yeah. on the backs of those people. Yeah, but it, it's absolutely immoral. And I mean, it's something that's been brought up. And that happens within the arts sector, within reputable, I'm doing in uh, inverted yeah. commas, yeah. companies now. Yes, it does. And it's something that has been discussed with the Arts Council uh, on a number of occasions. And it's something that I've been assured in the next MPO funding round, those budgets will be more highly scrutinised. The thing is that people don't know enough about the benefit system and how some of those um, loopholes okay. can be can be best used. So there's something about information there as well. Somehow getting the information out to the relevant people and to the arts council who and who could feedback on absolutely uh, and, and to create a system where disabled people don't have to feel so bloody grateful yeah. uh, all the time. You know, you, you you shouldn't be grateful to have an opportunity to use your skills. Mm. You should be paid for your skills, same as everybody else. Of course, yeah. Okay, thank you. Brilliant. Um, right, second question comes from your friend and colleague, mine too, uh, Sarah Pickthall, who you co-run Sync Leadership with. Uh, she's also a coach who specialises in equality and diversity training. And Sarah says that apparently you have a habit 
of striking up conversations with strangers in elevators. Oh, um, I <laughs> And that it's excruciatingly embarrassing and funny and that you make all your friends and colleagues laugh. So little party game, she says, OK, you've got 30 seconds as if you were in a lift to talk about in the context of this new funding, which measures the top ones like you know the summary would ensure that inclusion is a central consideration going forward rather than a tick box i haven't got anything to time you with so just go wouldn't it be amazing if we had a cultural sector that actually um reflected who we are as a nation that actually proportionally looked at the stories and the interests and the involvement of all of us, that massive diversity of people that made up the cultural sector, uh, made up the, the world, made up certainly this country. We don't have that at the moment. It's really lopsided. It's one type of person. Um, how, how, how can that be of interest to people? So I think we should definitely rebalance around that what would you like so I would ask my person in the lift what would you like to see what kind of things would you like to see on the stages in galleries that kind of thing what things would reflect your experience so usually it's about me asking other people questions and forcing them to interact with me yeah the, pro the provocateur in you isn't it can I tell you where that comes from yes so um I was in a lift with the guy who set up the G Gesundheit Institute, Patch Adams. Okay. And Patch Adams uh, was uh, an amazing visionary uh, and very annoying person. And he said that life is too short to let an opportunity go by. And so it was Patch Adams who started he, I was at something, you know, talking to people in lifts, and I was in a lift with him, and he ended up taking his trousers off and making <laughs> a balloon hat and a whole variety of things. So I don't go that far. Okay. But it, it has spurred in me, um, yes, yeah, sadly, a desire to never let a lift moment go without trying to make a human connection, which does embarrass Sarah and many of my other <laughs> colleagues. I think it sounds fantastic. And you're trying to connect in any way or you're – you know, you're trying to have the conversation, this conversation, the conversation that you're... No, no, trying to connect anything. in any way. It okay. can be about anything at all. It's about we're human beings mm -hmm. and we happen to be sharing the same space and time. Why not connect? Okay. Why not just have some... You know, rather than pretend that we're in a, a box... Because <laughs> it's so terribly embarrassing standing beside each other pretending you're not there. I agree, yeah. you know. Why not just go, all right? <laughs> um... It's amazing. Thank you. You did a very good 30-second um, uh, summary of the, of the why. But, of course, actually, it's why it's great listening to you because you speak so clearly and so inspiringly and it all makes perfect sense. Uh, and I agree. I hope that, you know, you're heard and that the landscape gets more interesting, um, you know, in the coming weeks and months. Thank you so much, Joe. Thank you for your time and, and good luck. Speak to you. Thank you. Uh, good luck with everything that happens. And yeah, see you out there and don't stop. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Lovely to speak to you. Thank Bye. you. Well, that's it for this episode of Downtime. I really hope you enjoyed it. Please do listen to the other episodes with other brilliant artists and arts leaders and please also have a look at my website www.thecoad.org May you be lucky and well enough to have a little inspired downtime of your own. <laughs>